As Christy said, during Eastertide, we'll be looking at those three little letters at the end of the New Testament that come just before the book of Revelation. This morning, we'll look at 2 John. So we're reading a whole book this morning. And it says, The elder to the lady chosen by God and to her children, whom I love in the truth. And not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth which lives in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, will be with us in truth and love. It has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as the Father commanded us. And now, dear lady, I am not writing you a new command, but one we had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. I say this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh, have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch out that you do not lose what we have worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take them into your house or welcome them. Anyone who welcomes them shares in their wicked work. I have much to write to you, but I do not want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to visit you and talk with you face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your sister, who is chosen by God, send their greetings. This is the word of the Lord. So it is the Sunday after Easter. Sometimes it's even called Low Sunday because it's the Sunday after the celebration of one of the biggest, highest, holiest days of the church's liturgical calendar. What's there to say after all the wonder and praise and trumpets and he is risens of, of last week? Well, honestly, I like this Sunday. I like the Sunday after because it always begs the question, what difference does it all make? Today is a good time to ask ourselves, how are things different because Jesus walked out of the tomb? To get a little more specific, the question we want to answer today is, what difference does it make that Jesus walked out of the tomb with a body? With a body of human flesh. The preacher Barbara Brown Taylor tells of an experience she had as a guest preacher once at a grand old Episcopal church in Alabama. The church had a striking mural of Jesus, like right there, emerging from his tomb at the front of the sanctuary there. 
since she had arrived early, she decided to just take some time and study that painting. Above her, Jesus was stepping out of the tomb with his hands raised in blessing. Roman soldiers were slumped down in sleep on either side of the tomb with Easter lilies blooming under their noses. What was striking to her was that except for the white cloth wrapped around his waist and hips, Jesus was naked. His skin was glowing the color of a pink rose. Taylor said she could not remember ever having seen so much of Jesus' skin before. And she understood the message the artist was going for. That even in Jesus' most transcendent moment, the moment that set him apart from all of humankind, Jesus remained recognizably one of us. Jesus came back wearing skin. But there's an interesting twist to the story because studying the painting further, Taylor realized that something was missing in the painting. Studying Jesus' lifted arms and chest, she suddenly realized there was not a single bit of body hair anywhere. Though the artist made clear that Jesus walked out of the tomb with a human body, it really wasn't like our bodies. She was a bit dismayed and frustrated that Jesus' body was portrayed as somehow different than ours, better, smoother, more perfect than our own ordinary acneed, freckled, wrinkled, scraped, cellulited, hairy bodies. That story gets at the question with which the church has wrestled for centuries. Are our human bodies good or bad? Are they something to be valued or shunned? Our text this morning aims at that question. You see, at the time that John wrote this letter, Gnostic beliefs and teachers were on the rise. What do Gnostics believe? Well, they didn't think bodies mattered much. They believed that they were simply a temporary, necessary evil. They rejected the idea that God had come in the flesh with a body like ours. True spirituality, they believed, was about having knowledge. Knowledge is what mattered. A knowledge, in fact, that only some could attain. But that's not what the Bible teaches which is why John was fervently raising a red flag. In the beginning, God looked at our bodies and said they were very good. And of course, the ultimate proof that bodies matter is that Jesus, the Son of God, had one. 
To say even more, Jesus didn't just come and inhabit a human body for a while and slough it off when he was done with it. No, the most amazing thing is that after Jesus' resurrection, he retained his flesh and blood, eating and drinking body. And here's another amazing thing. Jesus remains in that body even now. Okay, so getting back to our question, what difference does it make that Jesus walked out of the tomb wearing our human bodies? Well, here's one thing it does. It gives us bright hope for the future. The, pop, the Apostle Paul indicates that in our flesh, Jesus overcame our enemy. Jesus won the definitive and final victory over all of the ills that our flesh is subject to. Paul says, if we have been united to him in a death like his, we will also certainly be united to him in a resurrection like his. Our own flesh and blood has already been raised from the dead. I know of nothing that brings greater comfort than that gospel truth and future hope. But there's more that Jesus' bodily resurrection means. And it has to do with our lives now, our lives today, our ordinary lives in our ordinary bodies. In our text today, John's instruction in light of the resurrection is this, to walk with our bodies in love. With our bodies, walk in love. Now, the Greek word here used for walk depicts much more than just taking one step in front of the other. The way you walk is the way you go about life. It's the things you do day to day in your body. John says, in your body, walk in love. There are two things I want to say about walking in love. The first is this. Walking in love takes practice. Practice that requires using our bodies. Barbara Brown Taylor is convinced that faith is nurtured in us through practices of the body. She writes, why else did Jesus spend his last night on earth teaching his disciples to wash feet and share supper. With all of the conceptual truths of the universe at his disposal, he did not give them something to think about together when he was gone. Instead, he gave them concrete things to do, specific ways of being together in their bodies that would go on teaching them what they needed to know 
when he was no longer there. This summer, I plan to officiate a wedding where the bride and groom will wash one another's feet during the ceremony. I've been thinking about that. I suspect that years down the road, when all who are present remember that day, they will likely not call to mind some of the many eloquent words and excellent points I will be making about love. My guess is what they will call to mind is the bent over bodies of two adult people who on a day when they are the center of attention, humbly kneel down over an ordinary basin of water and wash the other person's feet. What a powerful way to bodily practice their commitment to keep walking in love. Walking in love takes practice. You know, throughout our days, there are a thousand ways our bodies can help us love God and love one another more. Maybe you practice holding hands together as you open your family meals in prayer. Maybe you find it a helpful practice to make the sign of the cross or to hold hands out and open as you pray, or to kneel in reverence before the giver of life. Our bodily practices day to day shape us. They matter. I heard this story once, and honestly, I don't know the source of it. It's a story about a Dutch minister who during World War II was imprisoned in a heavily forested area of Germany. He and the other prisoners were allowed out most afternoons for brief walks in the snow around the camp. Well, the pastor, along with other folks of faith, made a plan. And they started coming together for those few minutes in the forest every day. They'd first gather together closely into a circle and hold one another's hands. They'd sing a song. Someone would recite from memory a Bible verse or two. The pastor would pray and they'd sing one more song before their brief time ended and they marched back off to prison. That pastor was eventually released and went on to study more theology, more specifically ecclesiology, which is the study of the church. But in all of his in-depth, advanced studies about the church of Jesus and what it should look like, he could not get out of his head that bodily experience. Despite all of his intellectual training and degrees in doctrine, the pastor still landed on this conclusion, that what was practiced out there in that church in the snow 
was church in its purest form. Walking in love takes practice. Here's the second thing about walking in love. When we embrace the truth that our bodies matter to God, we can't help but care for the bodies of others. As followers of Jesus, we hear him calling us to honor the bodies of our neighbors as much as we honor our own bodies. And you know, Jesus reinforced that message in his ministry, honoring leper bodies, possessed bodies, widow and orphan bodies, as well as foreign bodies. As one commentator put it, read from the perspective of the body, Jesus' ministry was about encountering those whose flesh was discounted by the world in which they lived. Recently, a story has resurfaced that happened about 50 years ago. It's a story about six poor teenage boys who were from the Pacific Islands and were living in a boarding school on the island nation of Tonga. One day, these restless boys hatched a plan, a not very well thought out plan. They stole a boat and they started out for Fiji. They had no idea what they were doing. The very first night, the sails were torn to shreds by a storm. They floated around for eight days before they were washed up on a tiny little dot of an island where the boat was smashed to pieces, and they spent the next 15 months, months, trying and praying to stay alive. It's a fascinating story. Well, one day, an Australian fisherman was passing near the island when something caught his attention. And the next thing he knew, one of those young men was swimming toward his boat. The other ones, seeing what was happening, jumped off a nearby cliff into the water and swam frantically out to the boat as well. The fisherman was horrified by and, and a little uncertain about the story that they were telling. But when he radioed for help, the operator affirmed the story. And the fisherman delivered them back to Tonga, where the owner of the stolen boat immediately pressed charges had them arrested and demanded that they be locked up. But it didn't happen. It didn't happen because, you see, the fisherman was someone who practiced walking in love and saw those six bodies as just as valuable as his own. And so, though he had only just met these restless 
rule-breaking, robbing teenagers, the fishermen voluntarily, quickly, quietly paid their debt to the boat owner. And the teenagers were free to return with overwhelming joy to their families. Friends, when you walk the way of love, you'll see that the path is already worn because Jesus walked it first. Being the first down the path demanded his body and blood. But on resurrection day, he walked in love out of the grave in our flesh, which means that as we keep walking in love, we are never alone. And we are given strength for the day and bright hope for the future. And someday, this very body will encounter Jesus in his very body. And we'll eat and drink together at the wedding supper of the Lamb in the new creation. Thanks be to our embodied God. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious God, with our bodies, with all that we are and all that we have, we thank you for loving us. And we thank you for your gracious salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast.